Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and my co-host today is Ricardo. How's it going there, Jeremy? Ricardo Benavides. Ricardo, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's nice to be here on the shores of Lake Hicks. Hicks Lake, but yeah, that's yeah, good. Hicks Lake, Lake Hicks. <laughs> well, yeah, um, you can listen to this podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple, TuneIn, all that stuff. Uh, and if you could share, rate, review, like, all that good stuff, we would appreciate it. Helps us with the, the algorithms and everything. Um, so this week we have a very, very special guest in studio with us. And who's that? We had to pull. I had to pull major strings, Ricardo, to get her on the show. Uh, Today's guest is none other than your wife, my (laughs) aunt, Gina Bagnario Benavides, and Aunt Gina. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I feel so privileged to be here. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm so glad you were able to. uh, We were able to make this work. Um, I wanted to talk to you because nobody out there knows. But you know, I know at the time I was injured, and, and I think, and for years before that, you uh, worked at Boeing, and you were the supported employment coordinator. I hope was. I got that right. I was. And so you were basically in, tra- I mean, I'm going to let you explain what it was, but like essentially you were helping people with disabilities, both like mental and physical, get back into the workforce Correct. at Boeing kind of in the early days of like the ADA and, and things like that. Correct. So yeah, can you explain to us what what you did, what your job kind of was there? Sure, so my focus at the time was primarily people with developmental disabilities. Um, came upon it um, without really searching it out. I happened to be working in the print shop and they brought in a young lady with a developmental disability and I was assigned to work alongside her. Um, she was the first person in the, the what was then not yet known, but soon to be known as the Supported Employment Program at Boeing. Um, and this was just pre-ADA. The Americans with Disabilities Act uh, was going through the legislature at the time, but had not yet been passed. Uh, so there was no formal legislation to accommodate people with disabilities in the workplace. And uh, that grew into a program where Boeing, wanting to be on the forefront of that movement, um, decided to pilot a program of bringing in individuals with developmental disabilities in particular um, and accommodating them on the work, on the work, in the workplace, um, figuring out what it was that was needed uh, to keep them productive and what the benefit to the company was in addition to what the benefit for the employee would be. Okay, that that's awesome. Yeah, what, you know, what, um, so did you have any, I mean, was this even a thought kind of in your head prior to, I guess, working with this young lady? Um, had you even, uh, like... Yeah, I can't, I can't say that it was. I think I was just young enough at the time. I was just a couple of years out of high school um, going to college and not necessarily knowing what I wanted to do with my my life, but um, as soon as it was presented to me, it it definitely became a path. And um, I think the timing happened to be very right for me. I, again, I was young; I didn't have a lot of 
um, commitments outside of my job and my ability to, to devote my own time and energy into understanding more about uh, the process and what, what does it take to bring a person into the workforce that um, maybe us as a society would have looked on as somebody that didn't belong there, especially at a company like Boeing, right? right. Um, you know, everyone sees Boeing as a big corporate animal and there's no way that they could have people with developmental disabilities working in their workforce or somebody, um, you know, that was in a wheelchair and how were they ever going to be able to do the same job alongside an able-bodied person? Very, very quickly, that became a stigma that I wanted to help uh, overcome. That's that's amazing. What and how many years do, were you in this job for? Um, I for, was I I worked in the job for just about six years. Yeah. Um, through my first pregnancy, um, went back for just a short time after I had my son, um, and then Ricardo and I decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, at that point, outside of Boeing, I volunteered for a number of agencies that work with, again, my focus at the time was primarily people with developmental disabilities. Um, so anything from severe Down syndrome, uh, autism. Um, I had a, a couple of uh, auto accidents that had caused brain damage. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that tended to be more of my focus, but staying in that community, volunteering, working with high schools on transitioning from graduating out of a special ed program and going into then that next stage. I was able to still volunteer for a couple of years. That's awesome. Ricardo, thanks a lot for, you know, getting Aunt Gina out of the, the workforce and she's doing all this, she's doing God's work <laughs> wait, and wait, you wait. just talk her no, out of no. No, talk no, her into no, being a stay-at-home no, mom. No, Thanks. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that at all. I didn't talk her into it. <laughs> I'm just it, was, it was a dual choice yeah, at the time. Yeah, I yeah. will say this, though. At the time, I made a dollar more a paycheck than he did. Oh, yeah. So oh. <laughs> we cut our income in half to have me stay home. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, you know, I, I want to know, Angie, you know, what, you know, obviously you said that kind of when you started at this position, the ADA Act was still going through the legislature and all that. What, what, what changes, I guess, did you see in it from the time you started until the time you finished and even in kind of your volunteer work afterwards? Sure. I think that being on what, what at the time was the forefront of the Americans with, with Disabilities Act, um, there was obviously a lot of buzz around it. It was a huge new legislation, right, that was going to change the lives of a lot of people and, and really make employers step up right and and put more effort forth and that it spans it spans a huge gamut of of disabilities and what can be seen as a disability in the workforce and i think what i saw because i spoke around the country i i became an advocate for sp supported employment but because boeing was really piloting a program at the time it was um it was brand new. Not a lot of companies were doing it and definitely no corporations. And, and Boeing wanted to take advantage of that. And so sending me out, if you will, on a dog and pony show um, to advocacy conferences and um, 
just a wide variety of, of speaking engagements where I would be speaking to other corporations about how we implemented the program. Um, just the questions about, well, we haven't done it before. How, how do we start? Seeing that at the very, very beginning and then fast forwarding six years um, and having full departments dedicated to accommodating people with disabilities, um, to making sure that employees were working ergonomically safe. That, that was a byproduct of this, believe it or not, right? Mm -hmm. This whole ergonomic movement, um, making sure that, you know, every employee had the right workstation so that they didn't then become disabled on the job. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's come leaps and bounds and today still being in corporate America, yeah, I see it every day. I see, you know, what employers are willing to do today versus what they were willing to do a lot of years ago because it's been a lot of years since yeah. I was in supported employment. Right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, Andrew. one of the things is is that it's really good for the community um, because these people that were being, um, what what do you call it, mainstreaming? It was a kind of a term. It, yeah. That was a term that yeah, was used yeah, then, used mainstreaming. To, yeah, yeah, bringing people into the workforce, you know, to make it as transparent as possible. But what it did was it improved the self-esteem of a lot of these people um, and made them really independent in their personal lives, too. Right. So not that they didn't need to have caregivers and um, other adult services for them, but it really boosted a lot of their morales. And a lot of them came from, um, I, I can't remember. Group the, homes. Group, well, not group homes, but they, they were, were institutionalized. But they had, yeah, they were institutionalized, but they also had um, jobs that were piecemeal jobs where they didn't get paid a not even minimum wage to do this mm. work. So kind of slave labor. So before, yeah, yeah, before the ADA Act, yeah. they could exactly. yeah, just pay, pay disabled people whatever they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, I, I think it's a, a you know, a, a big, it was, it was huge. And in fact, I was at the grocery store the other day and I was telling Gina that there was a young girl that they were training to be a bagger. And uh, she worked for, um, she had her trainer with her, kind of like what Gina was doing, to help her familiarize with the um, cash register, with the cash register and, okay. and, the, and the guests. And um, uh, she worked, for the, the trainer was from the company called Vadis here in Sumner. Mm. And um, I said, well, I know all about this kind of stuff. And she's, she was excited to know that. I knew about it and and the young gal I can't remember her name was either April or start with an A or something like that she was she was all enthusiastic and, and happy to be there which was great you know yeah. so that's cool and um you know Angie I wanted to say so I didn't realize that you were like going to these speaking and speaking at these conferences around the country at the time um you know how I guess how receptive were these other companies to you know, Boeing's push and, and kind of your your uh, laying out what exactly Boeing was doing to implement these these changes in the workforce. Sure. I think, again, I think the timing was everything, right? With the ADA um, being right there on the forefront, um, I think companies were extraordinarily receptive because Boeing had taken the lead, right? So who doesn't want to be like Boeing? If Boeing can do it, can we also do it? Um, and again, I think it helped the ADA being so prevalent in the media, um, you know, conversations happening around reasonable accommodation, et cetera, 
I mean, it, it, it helped, it helped push that desire to, to do better. And I personally believe that, you know, it, Boeing didn't springboard uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act to be into being just an accepted legislation that was super easy for everybody to just go ahead and make make real in their workplaces. But I do believe that the concept of supported employment opened the door for what is now just employment, right? It's yeah. yes, we may have to reasonably accommodate if you're going to follow the letter of the law and use that terminology. But I think more and more employers are just looking at it. Okay, well, you've got X, Y, Z needs. What do we need to do to accommodate those? Because you are the best candidate for the job. And so where my focus may have been primarily on people with developmental disabilities. I think that that concept itself has springboarded into so much more. Um, and it's allowed accommodating and employing individuals with disabilities to just being employment. Really. For instance, I think one of the things would be like working from home, right? And with the pandemic that we're still, you know, on the tail end of hopefully, but I mean, if it wasn't for the Americans with Disability Act legally, I don't know that companies would have had to make accommodations for employees to work from home, right? Hmm. Those kind of things. Yeah. And like Gina was saying, you know, the whole ergonomic issue, right? It really brought a, a, a you know, kind of like, you know, the, the salt mines, right? The, and the coal mines, you know, things have changed a lot because there was a focus on the health of employees. And, and I think that's the big push here yeah. on supported employment is it introduced that, you know, these people have special needs, but they're not any different than people that don't. Right. right. Yeah. And that, yeah, that made that, that's a great point that the, I didn't even think about it from that. Cause yeah, you, you, you think about you now you see like workers in warehouses all wear those uh deals or like belts around their lower back to protect them from exactly. lifting stuff if exactly. you, you know if you're in a yeah, yeah. job where you have to lift or do things like that so yeah prevent people from suffering injuries on the job right yeah. um yeah i mean it, this is so fascinating to me and i know yeah and you know so i went to school after after high school i went to community college and got my associate of technical arts degree in computer-aided drafting and uh, you know like the state was like ready to bend over backwards to put me to work for the department of transportation so it's like it's very i just didn't want to work in a cubicle in a in an office building forever so um i I decided not to do that but yeah it's um you know it's very cool that, that how accommodating they were at that point it can you know in whatever that was 2002 or something like that 2003 uh versus you know what it was like for you know a, exactly. a generations of people living with disabilities prior to that so exactly. um yeah well, definitely i'm i'm so glad that, that i i can't believe we didn't have you on sooner I'd, i've been wanting yeah i wanted to talk about this for a long time so uh, it's very cool I'm that you're excited to get to be here. So yeah. I'm going to kind of bring this loop back around, Jeremy. So um, your aunts, you know, Lori and Gina, both worked at Boeing at the time of your accident. Right. Right. And um, they were able to help find some of the treatments for you. That was just Lori. Yeah, but yes. that was Lori. Yeah. But it was all about the, you know, the same um, 
caring you know there's got to be something out there in that community and I think that was one of those things that really helped your recovery was to find some of those absolutely yeah Yeah, that the side gen that um I guess she found with uh yeah I mean they because they thought I was going to be on a ventilator I mean my level of injury being a c4 5 quadriplegic they thought there was a good chance I was going to be on a ventilator. So thank God that, yeah. yeah she that, took advantage of her of resources available to her at Boeing to definitely research. That's, that's all. That was all Auntie Lori. Shout out to her. Yeah, definitely. Definitely appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did want to talk about another um, aunt, Aunt Jody, who unfortunately, you know, passed away a few years ago um, and kind of, of what that uh, so she passed away in a in a distract a distracted driver rear-ended her and her best friend Correct. and killed them i mean yeah and just a, a terrible circumstance and I, I think i heard that they both basically suffered spinal cord injuries correct yeah and um, slightly different spinal cord injuries but both of them suffered spinal cord injuries and yeah. it ended up killing them and yeah think of the um, most severe whiplash you could ever imagine is, right. is essentially what killed them and you know so that propelled you and i know um aunt Lori and aunt Teresa, and we, we come from a big italian family people so there's <laughs> lots of aunties and and a few uncles and uh yeah so you know i know that spurred you on to really start fighting for putting in in place a law to discourage distracted driving and and really penalize that um how did that like what i mean i guess talk about the kind of the circumstances surrounding that yeah so again that that brought in another aunt so aunt Teresa, um she was trying to get some statistics and this was really shortly after aunt jody's accident um i think being as tight of a family as we are we are all just struggling with what can we do like what how did this happen and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again Um, and at the time to be honest it was somewhat driven by anger um, knowing that there were no repercussions for the driver and and how are you know how can that be so that led us to the Washington Traffic Safety Commission um, and an interview with a couple of um, their leaders um, just interested in our story and then a request to actually testify in front of the transportation committee um, and which I did so I gave my first speech on distracted driving to that committee and that committee's whole purpose was to try to push the legislation that had been in um, committee and you know come so close to passing so many times and this was kind of what they felt was going to be the last shot um so i actually testified two different times um and this was all within six months of aunt jody's accident it happened very very quickly at the time distracted driving legislation again timing was everything for me Um, distracted driving legislation was being proposed in multiple states across the country and so it was a nation nationwide issue Um, I actually ended up I can't it was at the Today Show one of the morning shows um, ended up doing an interview with me because it was so prevalent across the nation at the time yeah this was 2016 
2016, 2017? Yeah, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just going to interject here real quick, mm-hmm. is that um, uh, there were a number of families that were part of this push. And right. to hear those stories were just heartbreaking, right? Um, and so... Go ahead. But, but they were heartbreaking, and I don't think that there was anyone that listened to the stories in the testimony that didn't agree that they were heart heartbreaking. The biggest pushback was you're you're infringing infringing on my personal right, um, and I heard that by from more representatives and senators. You know that it's not our job as the government to mandate what our constituents can do in the privacy of their own personal vehicles. That was hard to hear, right? Um, Because it just seems like common sense. When you tell me that you can't legislate something, but yet we're expected to take a test to to get our driver's license, right? There's restrictions for driving. There's there's rules and laws that have to be followed. So we're not infringing on your right because you shouldn't have the right to and, and, and this was literally one of the examples. I should be allowed um, to watch the news on my drive into work on my iPad uh, as long as I'm not hurting anybody in doing so. So that was a uh-huh. little bit of the mindset. Um, there were, you know, it, it was a little bit party politics, but I'd say probably less so than, than many other things have been. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, though, it was a single representative um, and unfortunately his name escapes me right now we can do research and find out who it was but the day of the vote the morning of the vote um, that was going to decide whether or not this legislation was passed he was a no vote he, he had absolutely no intent intent of passing this legislation was driving down i-5 to get to the capitol that morning and was running a little bit late and reached down to change the volume on his car stereo and looked back up split second and there was a styrofoam ice chest in the middle of the freeway obviously it didn't belong there he hit it and it's obviously smashed in a a million pieces Um, but for him that was enough and he realized that could have been a car Right, that could have been traffic stopped in front of him, and he gave a pretty or, impassioned yeah. speech on the House floor that changed a, just enough other minds. It wasn't a landslide vote in this state. I mean, it is still not popular legislation. So, yeah, I mean, I my thing, yeah, if they can make if if it's illegal, if they can pull you over because you're not wearing a seatbelt. They should be able to pull you over for staring at your cell phone right and they can now it's how much they will and they can impose penalties right um for that if you kill somebody see the thing was that this person um killed two people and basically was only fined like 500 dollars for like negligent driving so that's just insane and 50 dollars per person my god right but that's that's a whole i mean off a bit off top that's a whole nother set of legislation that um i will be continuing to fight and that is essentially the responsibility um aspect of it because this legislation did not address that okay so uh, do you know um how this distracted driving legislation has 
moved through other states? Are there are there uh, are other states starting to enact this law as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think right now, um, if I'm not mistaken, there are 17 states with legislation that is um, as stringent, if not more so, than ours. Okay. Um, and I know that pre-pandemic, I, I haven't followed um, as closely, to be honest with you, over the last year or so. But pre-pandemic, it was on the docket in four other states. Okay. Um, but it's also being looked at federally. Um, so kind of like the test that you have to take to get your driver's license. Uh, it might vary from state to state, but you have to take a test to get your driver's license, mm-hmm. um, and that's a you know that's a federal law. There is discussion at the federal level of enacting dis- distracted driving legislation across the board. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, yeah, that's a good start for sure. So. Like a seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they. You think about how I. I don't know if I saw a movie or it's something I saw about how hard people fought against having to wear seatbelts or even like they didn't even used to put seatbelts in cars. So it was exactly. like a whole, whole different exactly. thing. But yeah, anyway, um, you know, I know Angie and I used to go and, and speak to some local schools here, um, you know, probably so 10 good. years ago um, about drunk driving and, staying away from that to high school kids trying to you know persuade them away because that's how I got injured I was riding with a friend and uh, we had been drinking and um, clearly you're you know that's an illegal thing like not not even to mention that we're young drivers and doing dumb things and uh, but I know after this situation with Aunt Jody and with you helping get this law enacted um, you would you spoke at some schools and you invited me to come with you. And this was like right before the pandemic started and we were going to, and we were going to do some kind of joint, uh, joint speeches to some, some kids. Um, but yeah, you know, how did that come about? Where, who approached you about, um, starting to do that? Cause I know it was kind of tied in with the, uh, state patrol. It was part of the, again, the, the, the Washington state traffic safety commission, you know, they're a, a, a pretty big arm of the state government. And, um, I met a number of people um, in my volunteer efforts with them, um, spoke on a couple of committees, got asked to um, work with DECA. Um, DECA was looking at doing a statewide campaign against d- distracted driving. So that kind of tied in that high school aspect. Um, and it just became an ask. It was actually a school not too far from where the accident happened. Um, a high school that asked me to speak during their distracted driving week. They actually had a whole week dedicated in the spring, which is what I understand fairly common for schools. They're trying to hit kids before, you know, the sun comes back out, like you said, before young, you know, young kids are getting ready to get out and do those things that kids do in the spring and summertime in particular, and just kind of try and scare some sense into them, if you will. So um, participated in quite a few of those. Um, April is distracted driving. There's a week in April that has been distracted driving week for the state for a number of years. Um, and I actually, ironically, Jer, um, just sent an email out to Shelly, um, who works with the Traffic Safety Commission, just to say, hey, 
Um, I know that we got stopped because of the pandemic, but we're still here and Jeremy and I are um, ready, willing, and able uh, to get out there and start speaking again. So I'm hoping those opportunities come around again. Yeah, I would love, I was getting uh, really excited to do that. And then it, uh, yeah, that was like, we got, I think we were supposed to go do one in May Mm -hmm. of 2020. And that was, yeah, just after, yeah, after they had canceled school Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, and I remember going out to I forget what what high school it was at that we came out to, um, but they were they were they had just had like a huge like a helicopter came yeah, and they did a they, mock accident, a mock accident with yeah. yeah kids dying and there there was a we pulled up and there's you know like four ambulances and a hearse that, yeah. you know with the Mossy Rock the, that was down in Mossy Rock okay yeah yeah that was uh that was intense so yeah. and and but it was great you know getting to see you speak at, at and you're you know you, you're so good um you know in front of a crowd holding their attention especially Thanks, with high bud. school kids that's not that's not easy so um yeah that's that's awesome I'm glad to hear that um you just reached back out because I was going to ask you about that off the air so I'm I would <laughs> love to uh love to do that again soon um and then, you know, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, cause I don't think I want to kind of ask this about both of you guys. So I, cause I don't think I've, I've talked to you about it, Ricardo, but I kind of want to know like when my accident happened, like what, I just want to know like what was going on, like what you guys were thinking, like what, when did you find out? Like after my accident, we're talking, this is January 18th, 1998. Like got a phone call so- in the middle of the night. I know that. And then it was an oh shit moment. Like what? Yeah. 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 We had two little ones at home. Right. Right. So obviously my, my first reaction was I've got to get there. So it was kind of all hands on deck in the house with him taking care of the kids and me working my way to Harborview. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, did you guys, did they, I'm curious as to what, and you know, I'm selfish. It's my podcast, so I get to <laughs> yeah, I get, get to ask these yeah. hard questions. Yeah. And uh, like, I just want to know, like, I mean, you know, because obviously I was close to death. Like, they probably they weren't. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, they weren't like expecting good things. Did they tell you guys like they thought I wasn't going to make it, or like how did I mean what? Well, I just remember I I didn't go up to Harborview. Gina went up to Harborview, and um, she told me like the next 24 hours are going to be really critical and. Um, don't bother coming up here because we don't even know if Jeremy's going to make it. And I remember your mom was just, I've never seen eyes so red. So, yeah. and, um, and of course, you know, your, your aunts, you know, Teresa, Lori, everybody, yeah. everybody's really concerned. You had a vigil so, I mean, be- yeah. between your mom's family and your dad's family. Um, you had a lot of, just a lot of people, a lot of vibes. Oh, your oma and opa. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Jeremy, the, hospitals are are hard places to be always and i think that you know the medical staff unless they're a hundred percent are never going to say it's a hundred percent but it was made clear um that we were all holding our breath for that first 24 that you know the 24 hour period of time and i think your auntie Lori making that call and asking those questions um yeah, how how quick did that all take place with getting this that side was, gen? It, not quick enough, but it was, I mean, if, and my memory's not as great, and she would be far better to yeah. ask these questions too, but, you know, we got that call in the middle of the night, 
you know, we get up there and she brought her work computer with her and And this is like early internet days. So percent early internet days. That's what I'm saying. Like her boying resources, because it's not like you just had a laptop at home, a personal laptop at home that you grabbed, right? You didn't grab your iPad. Um, you know, she grabbed her work computer and she just yeah, there, there weren't smartphones or anything like yeah, that no. but yeah no. she just yeah. started typing away but and... that that's one of the great things about boeing we were exposed and had so many resources right exactly. um early on way before a lot of people did um computing wise because she was in education and training right? mm. and she would do um set up course curriculums all kinds of stuff for mechanics and and other people at the boeing company but um you but know, she pushed that dialogue. So yeah, and and your dad was critical in that. In that, you know, he was, he he listened right and made sure that that information got to the people that needed to have it. And um, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. That's uh, I'm definitely lucky. I mean, and you know, to be yeah, to be injured at the time. I, I mean, people that are getting injured now are even a little bit further down the road of being lucky uh, uh, you know because i mean imagine this happening in 1950 or something right. you well, know or 19 yeah but whatever I think, the case I, I think one of the biggest things jeremy is um the positive and resourcefulness of a family being there for you and being your advocate right, right? i mean because if you didn't have advocates no nothing would happen oh i can't yeah right? i can't imagine you know, so. i can't even imagine not you know having Every, you know, I mean, everybody really rallied around me. Or, you know, because I don't re- really remember no, much until exactly. I was at um, Good Sam. It, yeah, Good Sam in the in the rehab department. Yeah. Um, Having so. that that voice when you couldn't have your voice, and I think that that's you know that's critical in any medical situation, more so in a situation like yours where you absolutely. Um, you were not only young but you couldn't speak at the time right right? you didn't you you had no recollection like you said um so having people that were willing to ask the hard questions and push um it it makes a difference i vaguely remember because i think i was intubated at the time but i vaguely remember like them holding up like a a board with the alphabet on it in front of me like to have me tell them what was wrong like spell out what right. was wrong or something maybe i don't know maybe i yeah. that didn't even happen i don't know i was it, on yeah. a lot of drugs so absolutely did i think it's <laughs> levels of pain and yeah uh, yeah that was you know it's uh and i do want to just mention i'll i'll tag it in the uh in the show notes but um nicole collette uh and sean fluke are going to be on a a panel this coming Monday, the 18th, which is it will be the same day as I put this out. I'm sure it'll be a way to get the recording of it about uh, adapting for new injured, newly injured people to adapt to this injury. You know, like how to how to kind of get through the early days of this thing. And I think that's super that's helpful. Huge. So I definitely hope anybody that like has a family member that's just going through this, or or you're going through this yourself, and you need some inspiration or some you know some kind of ideas of where to go and 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 what to do i think this will be huge for that so absolutely well Um, and and again you know the whole topic of the americans with disability act once you find yourself in the situation there are resources out there and um you should leverage them 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a, you know, um, my, one of my caregivers, she also works for a, a woman with um, cerebral palsy and she like doesn't, she has a huge family, like they're all there, but um, they're, I think from Guam maybe oh, or yeah. and so they don't know like a lot of the ins and outs of the um of the the medical field and all this what these their things are. and so yeah like she doesn't have a she just stays in bed all day she doesn't have a wheelchair she doesn't have um you know any any way of getting around and all the you know they have to put her in like a regular wheelchair that you would see it like you know the pushing a mother, a new newborn, and a, the mother oh, out at the hospital, things like yeah. that. And she actually just got a kind of a, a new ad, a new nurse that's an ad, being a, a huge advocate for her and getting like starting the process of getting all these because these things all take a long time anyway. The process of getting a new wheelchair is a nightmare. So, exactly. well, um, yeah. Well, we have an example of that. So um, I have a good friend, and I'm not going to mention any names, but he has a son that was born with cerebral palsy. He wasn't mm. born with it. It was a result of his birth, you know. Okay. And so he's been paralyzed. But uh, he was uh, so Mr. X would go to a gym all the time, and they had a pool, and he thought, well, it would be great because he had a family gym membership if he could bring his son with him. And I remember he brought him, and they told him, no, you can't be there. So I remember he told me that story at work one day, and I go, what do you mean you can't bring your own son into this family thing? And he said, well, they yeah. thought it was too big of a risk because he has cerebral palsy. And I think the whole deal was they didn't want him to have water wings was the deal, right? You can't have any flotation devices, oh. right? Personal flotation devices. And it's like, look I at this. told Gina that, and <laughs> out came Mama G. Oh, that's awesome. And she made a few phone calls, and next thing you know, Chuck was accommodated. That's awesome. And that was at the, again, a very, very, yeah. very beginning of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's the, the timing of that just happened again to work. But, wow. um, and today there are pools that will only allow you to have personal flotation devices, like a water wing. They won't let you have toys in the yeah. pool. Hartstein is a oh, good example yeah. of that. You can't, you can have a noodle or you can have water wings on, but you can't have any toys. Yeah, and I think they installed a Hoyle lift at that gym. Oh yeah, they have, they have a yeah. few. I know it like the YMCA's. I'm yeah. pretty sure they, yeah. they all have yeah. those now. Too. That's all the result of some of that work. Yeah. That, that's no, that's awesome. And Angie and I just want to, you know, just being an advocate for the disability community is, you know, you're, you're amazing. And, and I can't thank you enough for, for everything you've done and everything you continue to do. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, going to speak with you at some of these schools about distracted driving and drunk driving and all that sort of stuff. And we're going to make that happen because Jeremy, you have such a strong voice and uh, using it on this podcast is fantastic. But I think that young audience is just such a key audience for you and you can make such a, huge impact and i'm looking forward to that i really am too so all right i yeah i think i think that's it i i'm i'm so thankful for you coming down and, and doing this with me and kind of telling talking about the you know, something we don't talk about enough on the show right like from yeah. the the americans with disabilities act is a huge huge thing and you know we know a lot about the kind of the building code side of things and the you know that you have to have uh, that this is, you know, handlebars in the bathroom and roll-in showers and things like that. But yeah, we don't know about the employment side of it. So I was, yeah, I, think I, I think it was really educated. Fa- fascinating. I think it, it, 
like you just talked a second ago, and I know you want to wrap this up, but you know, any young, any families that are just starting to go through this process, I can not encourage you enough. Read legislation like the Americans with Disabilities yeah. Act. Find out what your rights are, um, and push for them, and then push beyond them. Push beyond those boundaries because it's people pushing beyond the boundaries um, that are going to make a difference. And Jeremy, you're one of those people who's pushing beyond the boundaries. So keep doing it. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, everybody, uh, check out the podcast uh, notes. We'll get some info down there for you about the ADA as well. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Please listen, like, rate, review, share the podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Jeremy. All right. Hi, Jer. Bye.